The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Well, good morning, church. It's good to see so many familiar faces and some new faces this morning. Uh, if you're with us this morning, let me welcome you. Uh, it is it's good to have you visiting with us, and uh, hopefully you will learn something about our Lord and Savior this morning and be able to celebrate uh, what it is that we celebrate every week, that is the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and what that has accomplished for us, uh, namely that uh, we have eternal hope, uh, hope of a new heavens and a new earth, hope of a right relationship with the creator God of the universe, and uh, we enjoy celebrating that as a church family every week. If you're with us this morning and you do not have a Bible with you, a, a copy of God's Word, we have a few uh, spare copies that we would like to give you as a gift. Uh, you can just slip your hand up and somebody in the back, one of our ushers, will, will have a Bible that they can pass to you. Uh, every week when we study, uh, uh, when we come to the preaching of the Word, we, we go verse by verse, uh, chapter by chapter, book by book uh, in the Bible. And so today we're in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And we're continuing our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't have a Bible, it would be really helpful if you had a Bible so that you could follow along what we're reading and studying. We have a lot to get to this morning, and I have the unique challenge of preaching in a very short amount of time. Uh, my challenge is to do it in 25 minutes. We'll see how that goes. Um, those of you who've been around for a while know what a challenge that sounds like. Um, but I'm up for the challenge, so let's, let's do it. Uh, take your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue with verse 19 uh, through 34. <clears throat> Matthew, 19, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Follow along as I, as I read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there, oh, I'm sorry, uh, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we pause before we we hear the teaching from your word to acknowledge that you are the one true living God. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth. You are the one that has made all the birds and all the lilies of the field. You are the one who rewards in secret. And Father, we, we want to say this morning that you are our treasure. And yet, Father, we know that we are we're challenged and, and distracted and, and led astray so often. So, Father, through the teaching this morning, would you... Would you stir our hearts up to treasure you above all things, to trust you above all things, to be concerned and, and, and focused upon you above all things? Lord, we know that it is beyond our own strength to do it. We need your grace. We need the presence of your spirit in our lives for these things to be so. So would you do your work in us, change us, Make us who we are not. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I just want to start off by saying, here, here's the main idea of the sermon this morning. I think it would be helpful just if you have this idea in your mind as we walk through this passage. What is it that Jesus is trying to tell us at this point in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, here's the, here's the main idea. As we come to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus wants us to know that he desires for us to be so preoccupied with his kingdom that the treasures of this world and uh, that the treasures of this world lose their appeal and that God's faithfulness is put on display. Let me say that for you again. Jesus wants us to know that we should be so preoccupied with his kingdom that the treasures of this world lose their appeal and that God's faithfulness is put on display. We're going to see this main idea played out in two sections this morning as we study here. Uh, We're going to see in verses 19 through 24 that the location of our treasure is where we're going to invest our life. Whatever it is that we treasure, that's where we invest our life. And then The second portion this morning, verses 25 through 34, are going to show us that we ought to trust God with all our life. We ought to trust God with all of our life. So those are the two things that we're dealing with this morning. Now, those of you who know me know that uh, I love sports, and my son Josiah is not here. He's teaching Sunday school, but he has designed a, a bingo card for when I preach. And he like, there's certain things that dad is always going to say when he preaches and a sports analogy is always one of them. So if he was here, he would be able to check off a sports analogy because I love sports. And, uh, and one of the things about uh, being a sports fanatic is that uh, a lot of my schedule and a lot of my priorities is arranged around sports, watching sports, playing sports, thinking about sports, talking about sports. Uh, I was visiting the States a couple of weeks ago for some meetings and I went to a, a store that 
uh, yesterday's told me about, and because I wanted to buy a shirt for my favorite team, and I walked into the store, and I was fully overwhelmed by the amount of shirts and pants and coffee mugs and, and, and iPad cases and bumper sticker, all these things that bore the symbol of my favorite football team. It was overwhelming. And when what I intended to be like a 10 or 15 minute visit just to find a shirt and leave ended up being like an hour and a half just gaze through the store. It was incredible, so big, so overwhelming. Uh, I confess, it, it's a struggle in my life of idolatry that I love this athletic team so much. If you're honest, you might confess that you have idols in your life. Maybe it's not a sports team, but maybe there's something in your life that consumes your time, consumes your thoughts, that causes you to arrange your life in such a way that things revolve around that thing. Jesus tells us in these first few verses that the location of our treasure is where we will invest our life. You see, just prior to this passage, what we've studied the last few weeks has been Jesus talking about rewards. If you go back to chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus tells us that we ought to beware of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And he begins talking about rewards and how you can either receive your rewards from serving people and trying to perform for people, or you receive rewards from your Father in secret when you practice your righteousness in secret. And now this idea of rewards, we shift from rewards to the idea of treasures. There's, there's reward that we can receive in this world and that we get our reward and we get to enjoy the reward that we receive in this world, or there is a reward that we receive in secret from our eternal heavenly Father. And now Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Not these finite treasures, not these finite rewards, not these things that we, we get from others, but rather that we, we seek the rewards and the treasures that are eternal. You see, one of the main reasons for this is Jesus tells us is that the treasures of this earth are corruptible. The treasures of this earth are corruptible. Notice what he says. The, the treasures on earth is where moth and rust destroy. The, the, the treasures of this earth, they're not going to last. They're not going to last. They are corruptible. They are going to be destroyed. Not only are they going to be destroyed, but you know what? They're, they're the treasures of this world, other people desire those too, and so thieves might break in and steal them. I remember as a small, not a small child, I was 16, so I was, wasn't that small. But when I had my first car, I had a, a collection of cassette tapes in my car. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But I had this big box of, collect, of cassette tapes that I kept in my car so that when I drive, I could listen to my favorite songs. We didn't have Spotify. We didn't have those things, right? I'm an old guy now. And, and one morning, I walked out to my car to go to school. I opened my door, and I realized I had been burglarized. And all my cassette tapes had been stolen. My treasures were gone. Treasures of this world are corruptible, and they can be stolen. D.A. Carson is very helpful here when he contrasts the treasures of the earth with the treasures of the kingdom when he says the treasures in question here 
are things which are the result of divine approval and which will be lavished upon the disciples in the consummated kingdom. The treasures of the new heaven and the new earth are wonderful beyond our wildest expectations. For me, I've had treasures that were cassette tapes, maybe CDs, or maybe some other possession. Maybe it was a shirt of my favorite football team. Maybe it was the applause of man. Maybe it was being noticed by someone for doing something good, and and those became my reward. But all of those things fall short of the rewards of the treasures that the eternal creator God will give me in his kingdom. King David understood this, the potential of these great treasures, when he wrote Psalm 16, verse 11, when he says, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, are pleasures forevermore. The treasures of the kingdom of heaven, the eternal treasures that are not corruptible, they, they are so far beyond anything we can imagine that is temporal and corruptible. As we were reminded last week that uh, the C.S. Lewis quote about being children who are satisfied building mud pies in the slums because we cannot imagine what a holiday at the sea would be like. We are far too easily pleased. As I was preparing this message this week, I asked for people to pray for me because one of the challenges of preaching is that you just want to preach the Bible this way. You know, I'm studying the Bible so I can say something to you. It it very rarely works unless I first preach the Bible to myself. This is a hard passage to preach. There's some very clear truths in here. It's, it's easy to understand, but it is hard to take in our hearts because we are finite people and we are surrounded by finite things and we are tempted and, and distracted and, and disillusioned and, and we become fixated upon the things that we see, not the things that we cannot see. You know, this passage gives us these binary options. Jesus talks about treasures in heaven or treasures on earth. He talks about having a healthy eye or a bad eye. He talks about two masters, uh, one being money or one being God. These binary options. You know, we, we live in a world where we don't like binary options. We don't want A and B. We want A, B, C, D, E, and F. We want to be able to choose. But Jesus makes it very clear here that you are serving God or you're serving something else. He's really penetrating at the heart who is our master. You see, the location of your treasure is where you will invest your life. Massimo, uh, as we were preparing for this sermon, as we were doing our preacher's talk this week, Uh, He provided this quote, and he says he got it from someone, but he doesn't remember who he got it from, so guess who gets the credit? Massimo gets the credit for this quote. He says this, Our heart is our control center, but the thing we treasure controls our heart. I think it's profound. Our heart is our control center, but the thing we treasure controls our heart. You see, these binary choices that we have, God and his riches and his treasures and his kingdom, 
or anything else. What is controlling our heart? What does our heart desire? To whom or to what are we loyal? To whom or to what do we orientate our life? Why do we wake up in the morning? Why do we do what we do? Why do we spend time with some people and not with other people? Why do we go to one place and not another place? What drives us? Where is our treasure? Are you loyal to yourself above all things? Are you loyal to the opinions of the world? Or are you loyal and preoccupied mostly with your Father who is in heaven? We cannot be devoted to two things that are opposed to each other. That's why Jesus tells us you cannot serve two masters. I think the wisdom of James is appropriate here. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The stuff of this world is worthless. A former colleague of mine recently moved from Taiwan to the U.S. Uh, He took a new job in the state of Kentucky, and his family, when they left Taiwan, they packed up all of their belongings and put it in a big crate, and they've been waiting for the crate to arrive so that they could unpack all of their earthly treasures and fill up their home with furniture and decorations and plates and bowls and all the things that they they were moving the ship the shipment container finally arrived and guess what they opened it with great surprise to find that all of their earthly treasures were moldy or destroyed or damaged there was nothing in the container that was salvageable except for one painting they had to call a garbage company to come take everything away all of their earthly treasures, gone. You ever had that happen? Have you ever had your earthly treasures destroyed? You ever lost something and felt disappointment? Sure you have. We all have. Maybe something was corruptible. Maybe somebody stole something. Maybe you lost something. We know what it's like. But the question is, what do we treasure most? Where is our heart? How can you know what rewards and what treasures you value above all things? Well, there's a few, uh, a couple of diagnostic, diagnostic tools that I think may be helpful. Certainly, it's not all-knowing, and it, it's not going to be all-predictable, but, but it can help you. And, and these two tools are this, your bank account and your calendar. Two diagnostic tools that will help you know what you treasure above all things. First, your bank account. You can look on your bank account and see how you spend your money. Now, certainly there are things that are necessary for us to spend money on, right? I mean, we have to pay for our home, pay for rent. Uh, we pay for petrol and we, we pay our car payments. And, and you know, we, we have things that we have to do. Jesus is not telling us not to take care of the things that we need to take care of on this earth. But 
as you look through your expenditures, you're going to see your money going to home and transportation, petrol and tolls and touch and go, grab cars, trains, car payments, insurance. You're going to see money spent on food, supermarkets, eating out, ordering in, grab, <laughs> food panda. Where, where is your money going? You're, you're going to see other expenditures on things like health, maybe insurance or gym fees, doctor visits, or taking supplements or other things that you think will help your health. Maybe you see money going towards education or entertainment or clothing or hobbies or other interests. Maybe it goes to retirement savings or charitable giving. But as you look at your bank account, as you look at that statement to see where your money is going, it might give you an indication of what you treasure most. Certainly, it's not anything necessarily to feel guilty about, but you can see the things that you spend money on tend to tug at your heart. What does your financial statement say about your treasures? What does it say? Secondly, your calendar. If you were to open up your calendar and look how you spend your time and examine it and take inventory of your calendar, you may see that you spend the most amount of time sleeping. Maybe. I don't know. Some of you young professionals don't sleep much, and you live on caffeine and sugar, and you spend most of your time working. But the older you get, sleep becomes more of a treasure than work. But you see that you spend a lot of time sleeping, but then you see you spend a lot of time at work. Look, we're finite creatures. We need rest. But you're going to see that you also spend a large portion of your time commuting, whether it's in a car or on a train or in a grab. You're going to see that you spend a lot of time with other people outside your workplace and outside your home, with friends and colleagues or people that engage in the same hobbies that you engage in. You spend time with family, family meals and family outings. You spend time at the cinema or other places of entertainment. You spend time shopping or eating. Maybe you spend time engaged in spiritual activities. But as you look at your calendar, you, you can take inventory of where you spend your time. See, we all have money and we all have time. Now, we all have different capacity for spending money, but guess what? We all have the same capacity for spending time. Nobody in this room has more time than anyone else. We are all equal there. As you look at how you spend your money and as you look at how you spend your time, it begins to reveal some things about what you treasure most. Now, I'm not asking you to assess whether you are satisfied with the amount of money in your bank account or the amount of time in your calendar, but I am asking you to assess the expenditures of time and money in light of the values that Jesus is presenting as being the norms in his kingdom. As we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has he's been giving us things that are the expectations for behavior and for attitudes and values in the kingdom of heaven. Things like being a peacemaker, or being pure in heart, pursuing righteousness, being salt and light, being forgiving, not having lust for one another, not 
seeking revenge, praying in secret, not trying to perform for the masses. You see, Jesus here, he's not condemning money. He's not condemning clothing. He's not condemning food. Rather, he is condemning the love of these things. He is condemning the love and affection one may have for something that is greater than the love and affection one has for his or her creator. You see, if the, if the kingdom, if Jesus' kingdom is fully established here and now, what would change about the way you use your finances? What would change about the way you spend your time? As Jesus is drawing our attention to these things and pointing to our heart and what we desire, we begin to see that his teaching here applies or is an application of the first two commandments listed in the Ten Commandments back in Exodus chapter 20. Moses writes, you shall have no other gods before me. And here Jesus is telling us that anything that we put before God is a god. Money, hobbies, anything. The second command is this, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you are choosing the things of this world that this world has to offer, choosing the treasures of this world over the treasures of the kingdom of God, you will ultimately despise God and his kingdom. You will despise the things that God cares about most. You will eventually supplant God in your heart with your own desires rather than the things that God desires for you. You will determine what is good rather than allowing God to determine what is good. You will determine what is the right order of things rather than God telling you what the right order of things ought to be. It's a dangerous place. You see, God will allow you to pursue your own desires. That's part of God's kindness to us. He allows us to do these things, but it's also a dangerous thing for us. Listen to what Paul has to say in Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 32. He says that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You may say, well, Chris, that's a far cry from what Jesus is saying here about serving God or serving money and choosing one or the other. But I would suggest that it's not that far off. If God is wooing you and calling you to himself, if he is showing you his goodness and his kindness and his mercy, and you continue to choose the treasures of this earth over him, he will give you over and let you chase those things that you think will offer so much pleasure in this world. Once again, D.A. Carson is helpful here. He says our whole lives drift relentlessly toward the spot where our treasures are stored. Because our hearts will take us there. To follow Jesus faithfully entails, therefore, a consistent development of our deepest loves. To train ourselves to adopt an unswerving loyalty to kingdom values and to delight in all that God approves. That's why it's so important and so significant for us as a church family to gather on a regular basis, to encourage one another, to stir one another up, to love God and to love his kingdom and to do good works that draw other men and women to acknowledge him, his goodness and his kindness. You see, you may choose to love money in this world. You may pursue wealth and worldly treasures, but ultimately they will not fulfill your deepest desires. We were designed by God to be a relational people. And the most significant relationship that we can have is with our Creator. And if the relationship with our Creator is disordered, then everything else in this life will be disordered. It all begins with how we relate to God. We cannot serve God and money. If we store up treasures for ourselves on earth, rather than storing up treasures in heaven, we will ultimately be unfulfilled. So what should our ultimate treasure be? It should be God. God is our treasure. And what does it look like when we treasure God above all things? When our relationship with him is rightly ordered? I'm glad you asked. Jesus answers this question in the next portion of the text. Verses 25 through 34 tell us that we should trust God with all of our life. That's what it looks like when we treasure, when, when our treasure is in heaven, when we serve God instead of money, when our light, when our eyes are full of light and not darkness. It looks like someone who trusts God with all of their life. Now, I would like to suggest that um, perhaps in the ESV and in many of our more modern translations, uh, the translation that we see in the ESV in verse 25 
uh, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. The, translating the word anxious may not be the, the best way to translate it, particularly with uh, our culture today where anxiety and, and other types of, of mental health uh, maybe gets confused with what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, personally, um, as I looked at a few things and as things were suggested to me, uh, I think the King James Version actually does a really good job of translating this word. The idea here uh, is not about anxiety or being anxious. It's really about taking thoughts. So in the King James Version, listen to how this is translated. Therefore, I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment or clothing? Behold the the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than them? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take thought for clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like this. Once again, in verse 30, uh, we are told that God, so if he so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? So you get the idea here that this, this translation, anxious or take no thought, really it, it deals with this idea of a striving concern, a desire to control something. Now, it's important for us to recognize that when we come to this passage and, and we are told by Jesus to not take thought or not be concerned about your life or what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, and he, as he goes through all of these, this list of, of things that are, are daily provisions that may consume us and we may be very concerned about, we need to understand that Jesus is not promoting a worry-free a worry laissez-faire type of lifestyle, often popularized by Bobby McFerrin. You know the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Or perhaps you're more familiar with uh, a song I like, Bob Marley's Three Little Birds, where he encourages the listeners to don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not just being worry-free. You see, Jesus is addressing the issues of trust and concern. Trust and concern. Who are you trusting? In the first part, we're asking, where is our treasure? In this part, we're asking, who are we trusting? Ultimately, are you trusting God? Or are you allowing your concerns of all of these things to overcome you in the provisions that you need in life? This isn't about worry. This isn't about anxiety. It's not about thoughts. It's about trust. Also, I need you to notice here, this is really important. Notice that Jesus is not speaking in this sermon to those in poverty. He's not saying to not worry if you eat or if you have clothes or if you have health. No. He's not saying if, 
He's saying, take no thought about these things. He's speaking to people who assuredly have these things. They have food. They have clothing. They have homes. He's saying, don't be so consumed about these things that your thoughts are devoted to getting more, bigger, better, impressive things. I think that's speaking right to us, isn't it? We are people of means. I've, I've never been in the position in my life where I've had to worry about where the next meal would come. I, I hope that none of you have ever had to experience that. I know that it's true, that some people do experience that. Perhaps periods of homelessness or periods where they don't have money to, to buy food or clothing. Jesus is not speaking to those who would be concerned with, where is my next meal going to come from? The concern is, you have a food court, don't be so overwhelmed with your choices, God's going to provide. Don't, don't, don't get so consumed with where you're, what you're going to eat. Don't get so consumed with your clothing as you look through your closet to determine, eh, what am I going to wear? What brand is going to get me the most attention from my colleagues or perhaps my boss? What type of car I drive? What's that going to say to, my, to the people I do business with? Let's not be consumed with these things. Also, it's important for us to notice that Jesus is not speaking to those in poverty, but he's also, he's not saying that worry or consuming thoughts are bad altogether. He's speaking specifically about some daily provisions here, isn't he? As we read about, as we read about Jesus' life, as we read the Gospels, as we see what the New Testament says, clearly there are some things that ought to consume us that we ought to be concerned about. For example, Jesus, as he's telling parables in the, in the gospel of Luke, he says that it's right for someone to be so consumed with finding a lost sheep that he would leave behind 99 to go find it. So clearly, Jesus is not forbidding worry at all. But there is a right type of concern. There is a right type of consuming thought. A certain type of concern fuels a seeker's Search for something that is lost. This is the concern that should consume the Christian. What is that, what is that concern? The concern is trusting the Lord with all of their life and pursuing his kingdom. Do you believe that God is good and that he is able to do everything that he said he would do? That's what this is about. This isn't about anxiety. This is about God and whether or not you trust him. We're told that God is able to provide everything that the birds and the flowers need. And they're just, you know, here today and gone tomorrow. They're not created in God's image. But you, we are told, you and I were created in God's image. He knows what we need. How much more will he provide for us the things that we need? We are not here to be so consumed with the things of this world that we are not consumed 
with the things of the kingdom of heaven. We have a heavenly father who will provide for us. So if he is our treasure, then we ought to trust in him for the provisions of life. He will provide. He's gracious. He's good. In Jesus' story here, he even tells in his illustration, in his sermon, right? He says, look at the flowers of the field. Even Solomon. Now, those of you who don't know who Solomon is, he was the king after King David, who is said to be more wealthy than any of the kings in Israel, who had treasures. And Jesus says, the lilies of the field were dressed in greater splendor than Solomon. If God is going to do that for the flowers, how much more will he do it for you? Once again, D.A. Carson is super helpful. He says that, in effect, Jesus answers that just as earthly possessions can become an idol, which deposes God by becoming disproportionately important, so also can earthly needs become a source of worry and concern, which deposes God by fostering distrust. Loyalty to kingdom values rejects all subservience to temporal things, whether that subservience be the type which accumulates endlessly or the type stamped by a frenetic, faithless, and worried scurry for essentials. What striving concerns consume our thoughts today? For most of us here, our concerns revolve around money. Well, do we have enough money for retirement? Do we have enough money for children? Do we have enough money for education or for caring for aging, aging parents? Can we pay for our hospital visits? Can we afford insurance? Do we have the right car? Or we have the right clothes? One of the reasons that we do not treasure the things that God offers is because we don't trust God to deliver. We want things, and we don't trust that God will give us the things that we want. We don't trust God to deliver. We doubt God. We doubt that he will provide for us in a way that we want to be provided for. But, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you this morning that God is good and he will give you exactly what you need and he will give you more than you can imagine. He is good. He, he knows what you need before you even ask. We ought to rightly order our loves and desires. The priority of our life ought to be God's kingdom, pursuing his righteousness. That's what Jesus tells us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. How do we do that? We do that by hearing Christ's teachings and seeking to live them out, loving others more than ourselves, being forgiving, being peacemakers, not harboring lust in our heart. All of these hard teachings that, that Jesus has given so far in the Sermon on the Mount, that's pursuing righteousness, seeking to live out these things. If you trust God to be faithful as he promises to be faithful, then you're free to pursue this type of righteousness. You can seek to be a peacemaker with no worry. You can guard your heart because you know that God will provide for you a spouse. You don't have to look at another woman with lust in your heart. You can be honest in all of your dealings. 
regardless of what the consequences may be. You can forgive just as Christ has forgiven you. You can give cheerfully. You can pray in secret. You can live for him with no fear. Where is your treasure? Who do you trust? Where is your treasure and who do you trust? We ought to be able to trust God more than anything. We ought to treasure him more than anything. Because you see, he knows exactly what we need. And above all things, what we need is a right relationship with him. When we are pursuing the treasures of this world, or we're trusting ourselves, or we're trusting something else, our relationship with him is broken. And within ourselves, we are unable to repair that relationship. So God, knowing our needs, he sought to make amends for that need and to make our relationship with him right. He provided a way for us to have a relationship with him, to restore what was broken. And he did that in Christ. By sending his son, Christ went to a cross to take on the penalty of my sins and your sins so that in him, by having faith in him, we might be able to have a relationship with God restored. We receive a gift of righteousness in Christ. We're forgiven. We receive a gift that only God can achieve for us. God is good. I'm so excited this morning to be able to hear the testimonies of people who are expressing their faith in Christ and joining our church as covenant partners and hearing testimonies of those who, have, who are following Jesus and want to follow him in obedience of baptism. It's a sign that these people treasure God. It's something that we cultivate each and every day in our lives. We can't just say, one day I'm going to treasure God, I'm going to follow him, and then everything else is settled for the rest of your life. No, it's, it's a struggle. We get distracted, we get tempted, we get led astray, so we encourage one another on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, to pursue God. And I am so grateful that these testimonies that we're going to hear today, and later the baptisms that we get to witness, are signs and reminders to us that God is good and that he is trustworthy. This morning, if you're with us and you've never come to a place in your life where you want to trust God above all things through Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to find someone who's been up here on, on stage, if this is a stage, and, uh, and talk to them and say, I, I want to know more about following Jesus. What does it mean to treasure him above all things? We would love to talk to you about that. In just a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is another way that we are reminded of how God provides for us. A beautiful picture of him coming to us to fix what is broken. As we look forward to that, would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this day to celebrate what you have done in our lives. Father, would you stir our hearts up to treasure you above all things and to trust you with our entire lives? and not to be consumed with concerns about worldly things. You're good, and you are alone or worthy of our trust and our worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.